It goes by many names. The Great War. The war to end all wars. The war of the nations, or as it's commonly known, World War I. Family, from 1914 to 1918, much of the civilized world was engaged in one of the ugliest, bloodiest, most brutal wars that this planet has ever known. For four long years, all of Europe was covered in the cloak of war, and by the time the fighting was over, more than 8 million soldiers were dead, along with another 21 million seriously injured. Now, family, many of you will remember from your school days that one of the reasons why World War I was so brutal and so bloody and so deadly was because this was the very first war that was fought with new technologies, new technologies that were being used on the battlefield for the very first time. I'm talking about technologies like the machine gun, the airplane, and the tank. Well, as a result of these new technologies and so much bloodshed, both the Allies and the Central Powers during World War I were advising their armies to dig in, just to dig in and, and try to hold ground by digging trenches. The military experts tell us that during World War I, there were more than 35,000 miles worth of trenches dug in Europe. Both of the armies are there digging their trenches. They're setting up their lines. They're trying to protect their ground by using barbed wire fences. And the empty space in between the battling armies was often called no man's land. And this was the nickname for the ground where so many of the bloodiest battles were being fought. Each side was just hoping that the next engagement or the next advance or the next battle might ultimately win them more real estate and then ultimately defeat the enemy. Well, family, this morning we're taking our Bibles again and we're opening to Luke chapter 20. And Friends, this morning we're going to watch the religious elites of Israel confront Jesus Christ in a very bold, in a very audacious way. And we're going to see from God's Word this morning that verbal warfare, verbal warfare was their tactic, and the Temple Mount was the battlefield. These religious elites were hoping that if they could just hit Jesus with the right questions, if they could just hit him the right way, that they could overtake him. They could diminish his power, his popularity, and then ultimately condemn him to his death. So friends, I want you to join me here in Luke 20 this morning in this message that I've entitled, The Battle for Authority. Now, over the past few Sundays in this series, we've been looking at some of the face-to-face -face encounters that Jesus experienced as he was making his way with his disciples toward Jerusalem. Well, in the middle of Luke 19, Jesus finally arrives at Jerusalem. He arrives with great fanfare by the people. But within hours, Jesus sends shockwaves through the temple grounds. He comes into the temple and he does a second cleansing of the temple area. And for a second time, Jesus does a, a very public rebuke 
to the religious leaders and what was going on there in the temple area and all the corrupt business practices that everything had degraded into. So much of what was going on there on the temple mount was not honoring God, it was defiling God and his worship. Well, as Jesus comes in for a second time, with a second cleansing, a second public rebuke, the religious leaders of Israel are furious. They are enraged and they want Jesus dead. The problem is, though, they first need to convict Jesus of a crime that is worthy of death. And family, that brings us to our text this morning in Luke chapter 20. As Jesus comes face to face here with his enemies, how does this battle for authority unfold? What do we uncover here about Jesus' identity and his authority? What relevant truths can you and I take away from this text for our Christian lives today. Well, I want us to read this text together now, and we'll see how this battle for authority shakes out. Let's go to Luke chapter 20 this morning. Luke 20, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 8 as you follow along. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it one with another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, and they said they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Family, this is such a dramatic encounter. This is a verbal battle that's going on here, and the stakes are so incredibly high. So how does this battle for authority, how does it break down? And what valuable insights, what applications can you and I draw out of this for our Christian lives today? Well, let's look here, friends, at this battle for authority, and let's watch it unfold in four parts. Here's the first one, number one. We see Jesus' authority is challenged. Number one, Jesus' authority is challenged, and we, we just read that in verses 1 and 2. Now, family, when you and I were in junior high school, we all learned that here in the United States of America, we have three branches of government. You're remembering this now, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. Those are the three equal parts of government in the United States. Well, family, back in ancient Israel, there was just one highest governing council. It was called the Sanhedrin Council. They were the ruling council for all Israel. It was made up of 70 members. But amongst those 70 members, there were three divisions. That group was made up of three kinds of people. It was made up of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And that is actually what we just read there from Luke's pen. So this was an official delegation sent by the Sanhedrin council to come and to speak to Jesus. 
Now, we have to remember there, at the end of chapter 19, well, we're not looking there this morning, but at the end of 19, Jesus comes into the temple after his grand entrance, and he's overturning the tables, and he's telling these religious leaders that they had made the temple a den of robbers. So these official religious leaders of Israel, they were outraged. They were so angry with Jesus. Who does he think he is? And now every day, Jesus is there in the temple. He's teaching, and he's preaching. And the people are flocking to him. And so these elites... They come, these religious elites come to Jesus and they want to know by what authority are you doing this? Just who do you think you are? Who said you could do this? Who gave you the authority to do what you're doing? Who's given you the permission to do these things? Not just the temple cleansing, but really his whole ministry. Friends, this question about authority is really a trap. This is a trap that is purposely being set to ensnare Jesus. They're trying to get him in trouble. Listen, here's how it breaks down. If Jesus claims publicly that his authority comes from God, then the religious leaders are going to charge Jesus with blasphemy. And then they bring him to trial, and then he's killed. But if Jesus backs down and Jesus says that his authority only comes from himself, then these religious leaders can rebuke Jesus publicly for being outside of their circle of leadership. They can rebuke Jesus for being outside the circle of religious norms, and then they can diminish him in the eyes of the people. Well, Christian friends, as we watch this battle for authority unfold, there is a great application for us right here at the beginning when it comes to taking a stand for Jesus in our world. Listen, when you stand for Jesus, when you stand up for God's truth, when you stand up today for biblical doctrine, you can be certain that there is going to be pushback against it. Friends, you need to realize something here that this world today is not going to thank you for your beliefs. This world is not going to welcome your biblical beliefs on abortion or family or marriage or gender or ethics or morality. No one is going to thank you for your beliefs. No one's going to pat you on the back and welcome your beliefs from the Bible. No, we need to remember as Christians, we are truly countercultural in this world. If you are being faithful to Jesus Christ, you need a reminder you are swimming against the current. You are swimming upstream if you're going to say that you believe and follow the teachings of the Bible or Jesus Christ. You are especially swimming upstream when you say that Jesus Christ alone exclusively is the only way a person can get to heaven. Friends, we need a reminder about this. That in today's world, when you stand for truth, just like Jesus, you are going to get pushback. In your notes there, I gave you Jesus' words in John 15. You remember this text? John 15, verse 18. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Christian friend, I want to remind you this morning, right at the outset, just as Jesus Christ was resisted, just as he was opposed in his day, the same thing is going to happen to you, Christian, in your day. As you faithfully represent Jesus and you faithfully represent his teachings, you have to understand there's going to be pushback. There's going to be opposition against you, just as there was against Christ. Christian friend, don't ever be surprised by that. Don't ever be surprised by the anger, the pushback, or the opposition from a lost world. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Expect that it's coming. It happened to Jesus, and it will happen to you. Now, let's move on in our text. Here's a second aspect of this battle that unfolds. Number two, Jesus' authority is revealed. Jesus' authority is revealed, and we see this in verses 3 and 4. Now, family, when I was coming up through Bible college and seminary, I was taught about the power of asking questions. The power of asking questions. As a preacher, as a Bible teacher, you would be surprised, you'd be amazed at what kinds of things can be unleashed when you ask a good question. A good question can make your students perk up. It can help people probe deeper to deeper thinking. It can make people get down into the depths of the issue. It can, it can help listeners arrive at the right conclusion on their own. Well, friends, notice here in verse 3, Jesus unleashes a question. And in fact, it's a counter question. They ask him a question. He asks a counter question. Now, we have to remember this delegation that comes from the Sanhedrin council. They were coming to Jesus. They were not there in good faith. They were not there with good intentions. No, they are there with an agenda. They are there to trap Jesus. They want to destroy Jesus. They want to discredit him. And of course, Jesus already knows this. So Jesus asks them a counter question. And what is that question? Well, look at your text. Jesus asks, the baptism of John, John the Baptist, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from man? Now, in other words, friends, this is the question Jesus asks. He asks these religious leaders, what is your take on the ministry of John the Baptist? Was John the Baptist's ministry approved and authorized by God? Or would you say that John the Baptist was out there just doing his own thing? Was he just doing his own thing? No different than any other man. Now, family, I want you to understand something here. Jesus isn't asking this counter question to try to sidestep the leaders. He's not trying to avoid them. He's not trying to evade them or sidestep them. He's not trying to change the subject like so many of the politicians do when they get asked a hard question. No, Jesus asks a counter question here that is truly brilliant. Truly brilliant. And the reason it is so brilliant because it leads to this. If these religious leaders will answer Jesus' question honestly, then they will have the answer to their question. If they will be honest in answering his question about John the Baptist, 
then they will have their answer about where he gets his authority. Now, friends, stay with me, okay? I want you to think this through. Think about John the Baptist. Think about his ministry. John's official ministry was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. John's whole ministry was about paving the way for Jesus the Messiah to come. Right? How often do you read in the gospel accounts where you see John the Baptist confidently pointing at Jesus and, and John the Baptist tells the crowds, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says statements like this, I have seen and bear witness that this is the Son of God. You see, John the Baptist was like a living, walking signpost. He just walked around like a giant arrow pointing people to Jesus. His whole message was to tell people that Jesus is the promised Messiah that was sent from God. So, do you see why Jesus' counter-question is so brilliant? Here are these self-righteous religious leaders. They come in here and they think that they're going to apply the pressure on Jesus. They think they can make Jesus crack. And yet Jesus just applied the pressure to them. So, will they answer honestly? Will they have the guts to answer his question honestly? Now, believers, before we see how they answer, let's just pause here for a second, and let's make a great point of application for ourselves. Friends, we need to be encouraged with something here. And it might seem small, it might seem minor, but I think there's an encouragement here. We should be encouraged, Christian friends, by the way that Jesus remembers and honors the work of John the Baptist. We ought to be encouraged by the way Jesus remembers and honors the work of John the Baptist. You know, we think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist gets a lot of publicity early on. But as soon as Jesus shows up, he's out of the picture. He totally just steps off the stage. John was not the main attraction, right? John was not the main attraction. Jesus was the main attraction. And so John isn't the guy at the center of the stage. No, John is just the guy who's sweeping and preparing the stage for the main attraction, who was Jesus. Remember what John said there in John 3, verse 30? John the Baptist said this, He must increase, I must decrease. That was John's whole ministry. I go down as he comes up. And yet, right here, we see Jesus remembers John. He honors John. He esteems greatly the work that John the Baptist accomplished. Christian friend, that can be a great encouragement for you today. Such a great encouragement for your heart. Listen, believer, Jesus Christ sees all the work that you do for Him. He sees all the work that you do for Him. He sees, He knows, He remembers. Listen, maybe you're one of those Christians who's always serving in the shadows. You're one of those Christians, you're never up front. No one ever sees what you're doing. You're always laboring behind the scenes. Christian, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. You keep working. 
You keep serving. You keep giving your best to Jesus with all your might. Because listen, your work isn't going to be forgotten. Your work isn't going to be uh, minimized in any way. It's not going to be overshadowed. No, Jesus is going to remember all that you have done for him and the advancement of his name and his gospel and his kingdom. Friends, you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 42. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water that is shared with someone in his name would not go unrewarded. Christian, let that be an encouragement to, to you today. Keep serving, even if it's in the shadows. Keep serving, keep laboring, because Jesus sees your work, He knows your work, He remembers it. So be content, even if it is to keep laboring in the shadows, if that's where Jesus has you. Have that mindset that John the Baptist had. Let me decrease and let Him increase. Christian friend, you can be confident Jesus won't forget. Now, let's press on. This text that we're studying today is, is a great example of the verbal warfare, the verbal battles that Jesus was often engaged in. If these elites, if they truly wanted an answer to this question about Jesus' authority, they would get their answer if they answered His question first. So, what happens next? Well, here's number three, if you're taking notes as we're unpacking this battle. Number three, Jesus' authority is evaded. Jesus' authority is evaded. And we see this in verses 5 through 7. Now, Christians, if you pay any attention at all to politics in the United States, chances are you have heard the word optics. Optics. Political candidates and political leaders are obsessed with optics. You see, optics is a word that has to do with how things look. How does this look to the general public? Let me give you a couple examples. Some of you will remember during President Obama's administration. Whenever you saw President Obama go and visit a factory, he always had his shirt sleeves rolled up. Always. Because he wanted to communicate this message that he was a hands-on, get-it-done, blue-collar, hard-working kind of guy. Always sleeves rolled up. How about President Trump? Always the red power tie. Always the red power tie. In so many of his speeches, State of the Unions, the biggest moments, he's wearing that red tie. Why? It's optics. He wants you to see him and think of him as a powerful, smart CEO. You see, that's optics. It's how do things look? How do things look to the people? Well, family, notice in verses 5 and 6, look at our text. Jesus asks this counter question, and instantly, this delegation pulls aside and begins a little private discussion about optics. Optics. They have this question put to them by Jesus, and Jesus has now asked it publicly. They're going to have to say something. How will their answer look? How is their answer going to be perceived by the public? Now, one would think, one would think that these religious leaders who constantly paraded themselves as such holy people, righteous people, upright, here is the leaders of Israel, one would think that these 
men would care about truth. Truth. Wouldn't you expect that their concern would be to speak the truth? But notice, truth isn't their concern. Answering Jesus' question truthfully isn't the agenda at this moment. No, the agenda is to try to land Jesus in hot water. That's why they're here. And it seems that now Jesus' counter-question has landed them in the hot water. And now the optics are happening. Now they're starting to spin and try to figure out how might their answer be perceived by the people. Well, look in your text there. If they answer from heaven, that is, if they agree that John the Baptist's ministry was really authorized by God, then Jesus is going to humiliate them by saying, then why didn't you believe John? Why didn't you accept John's message? Why didn't you repent? Why didn't you welcome all the truth that John taught? Remember, I told you a few minutes ago, what was John's message? His overarching message was that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one sent from heaven. And of course, that's the last thing that these religious leaders want to admit. They don't want to admit that John's ministry was from heaven because his whole ministry was about affirming Jesus as the Son of God, Messiah. They can't say that. But look at verse 6. Verse 6 is the other side of their predicament. If they say that John the Baptist's ministry wasn't from God, the general population, the public, is going to rise up and stone them because the people, the regular folks of Israel, viewed John the Baptist as a national hero. They saw John the Baptist as a prophet who, who spoke from God. So the bottom line here, friends, is they have weighed out the optics of how they could answer, and the optics look terrible. The optics look terrible. No matter which way they answer, Jesus gains the upper hand on them. So, what do they do in verse 7? They lie. They lie. They say that they don't know. They say that they don't know. Oh, what scoundrels and snakes these guys were. Jesus was right. Jesus called these guys, he called these characters, he called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them snakes. And that's exactly what they were. Because they didn't care about the truth. All they cared about in this moment was appearances and optics. All they cared about was how could they keep their power. You know, those of you who like to watch football regularly, whether you watch college football or whether you watch the pros, those of you who are football people, you know what it's like when your favorite team has the football and they get backed up against their own goal line. Right? This is the most dangerous point in a football game when the team has the ball on their own end line. And, and the, the end zone for them is, is 100 yards that way. And they're here on the one-yard line. And as a fan, this is what makes you so nervous. The, the defense breathing, breathing down their necks. You just want to see your team in that moment. You want to see your team do something big. You want to see them run it 
Run it hard. Run it up through the middle. Gain some ground. Or you want to see him throw a deep pass. You know, go for it. Throw the long ball. Keep the offense moving. You know what so many teams do in that situation, though? When the ball is backed up against their one-yard line, you know what they do? They punt. They punt. Oh, we don't want to run the ball. That's too dangerous. We don't want to throw the ball. That's too, that's too risky. So they punt. And guess what? That's exactly what these religious leaders did. Jesus had them backed up, and they punted. They say, we don't know. And so in this moment, their hypocrisy is exposed, their dishonesty, their hidden agenda is utterly exposed. Well, Christian, what's the significance here for you and for me today? Here we are so many generations later, here in the 21st century. Do we get any significance here from this for our lives in the here and now? Well, Christian's answer is yes. Yes, there is some significance here for us, and it's this. The heart of sinful man, the heart of sinful man is naturally bent toward protecting self and pleasing people. I'll say that again. The heart of sinful man is naturally bent toward protecting self and pleasing people instead of pleasing God. Doesn't this show up so often in politics? We watch politicians make their decisions. How do they make their decisions? Not typically by their own belief systems or by their own values. How often do we see politicians just put a finger to the wind? Let's just see which way the wind might be blowing on this issue. In other words, I wonder what the latest polls might be saying. Making decisions based on what I think the public might want me to do. How often do we see politicians triangulating their positions, trying to choose a, a viewpoint on a position that will make as, as few people angry with them as possible? We call that triangulation. But listen, Christians, how often do you and I fall into that same behavior? How often do you and I fall into that same action when people ask us a hard question? about what the Bible teaches or about what we believe. Someone asks us a hard question about, well, what does the Bible say or what do you believe about abortion or homosexuality, LGBT, gender issues or the death penalty? How often does it happen where Christians are worried so much more about what other people will think of them rather than speaking the truth before God. How often do Christians punt on the hard questions? How often do Christians want to evade that question? They want to punt. They just fall back into Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things of the Lord are only known by Him. How often do Christians try to triangulate some answer that's kind of soft and squishy because they're worried about who might get angry at their answer. Dear friends, I want you to know that is wrong. That is wrong. That is cowering. That is giving in to the fear of man. It's putting the fear of man over the fear of God. So what do we do? Well, Ephesians 4.15 gives us some help. The Bible says it is possible to speak the truth in love. 
It doesn't mean we're a jerk. It doesn't mean we're calloused. It doesn't mean we're always picking a fight, going around getting in people's faces. No, we speak the truth in love. Look in your notes there. I gave you a wonderful quote from Daryl Bach, who was a Ph.D. Bible professor at Dallas Seminary. And I wanted you to have this quote. Will you put a star by it today? Look at it. Daryl Bach says, quote, The Christian faith is not committed to gaining the most votes, running a popularity contest, or finishing high in the polls. We must take a hard and honest stand for truth, even if it is not popular. If we keep our eyes on the votes of the culture, God's truth and being honest about it usually suffer. Being truthful does not mean being callous, but it does mean we should show enough honesty to make clear where we stand and why. So believer, even though you and I live in an increasingly secular, hostile, increasingly politically correct culture, Christian friend, we need courage. We need courage today to stand with Christ, to stand with His truth, even when it is unpopular. Christian, listen to me. Birds and squirrels can sit well on fences, but faithful Christians cannot. And that's a great takeaway from this text. Now, let me show you one more point here, friends, in this battle for authority. We've seen Jesus' authority challenged, revealed, and evaded. But notice, fourthly, Jesus' authority is preserved. His authority is preserved. A few minutes ago, I explained what Jesus offered up his counter question there in verse 4. Jesus was not trying to sidestep. He wasn't trying to avoid the question. He's not trying to change the subject. No, the reason Jesus offers up the counter question about John the Baptist's ministry is because of the way Jesus' own ministry was so intrinsically linked with John the Baptist's ministry. Right? Listen, if John the Baptist has authority from God, if he's sent by God and John is always pointing to Jesus then if John has God's authority and he points to Jesus, then Jesus has God's authority too. And that's the honest answer to the question. But notice, those religious elites, as soon as they saw that Jesus had them painted in a corner, they punted. They punted. They said that they didn't know, but that was a lie. They did know. They did know the answer, but they didn't like it. And so they didn't want to take a loss publicly in front of the people. They didn't want the public to see Jesus get one over on them. And so, notice the reply that Jesus gives in verse 8. Jesus says, Then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. To paraphrase it, Jesus says, Very well, very well. If you don't answer me, then I don't answer you. I think Dr. John MacArthur hit the nail on the head when he said that Jesus had exposed the hypocrisy of their question. He exposed their evil motive. And because of that, Jesus wasted no more time on them. So, who wins the verbal battle here? Who wins the battle ultimately? Without a doubt, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He comes away the winner here. His authority remains untarnished. 
His authority to preach, teach, share the gospel, do miracles, stand there in the temple mount and speak truth about God's kingdom. All of everything that Jesus is doing remains unabated, undiminished, and untarnished. So family, what lesson do we take away from the final point here for our lives today? Well, friends, I think there's two great applications that we need to take away here, two of them. First of all, I think this encounter by Jesus shows us as Christians, you and I need to use discernment in answering people. We need to have discernment in answering people. You know, some people out there, you know, they really do have, have an honest question. An honest question about Jesus or God, the Bible, church, eternal life, some aspect of Christian truth. There are some people who honestly, they just, they just want to know. They really want to ask you this question. And so listen, Christian, if that person, if you can sense that they're truly genuine, then give them a genuine answer. Give them a genuine answer. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. If a person has a genuine question about God, Jesus, church, the Bible, then answer them. Go ahead, speak the truth with love. But it takes discernment because not everyone out there is asking genuinely. Sometimes there are people coming with an agenda and sometimes they are an angry atheist and they've got some scoffing, antagonistic attitude and they're a skeptic and they're talking to you because they really just want to pick a fight with you. And when that person comes to you, don't fall into the trap. Proverbs 26.4 says, Answer not the fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So listen, Christian, you and I need wisdom. We need discernment. We need to know when to engage with someone and when not to engage with someone, when not to get drawn in to some foolish argument with some hardened person who doesn't really care about the truth anyway. All they want to do is push their agenda publicly while throwing dirt on yours. So that's the first application, I think, out of this last point. But here's the bigger one, friends. The much bigger application I want you to hear, Christian, this battle for authority, it reminds us that this unbelieving world will only continue to fight and push back and oppose Jesus. That's what this world is going to do. It's only going to continue to oppose, push back, and fight against Jesus, His gospel, and His church. But guess what? Jesus' kingdom can't be stopped. You can't stop Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is only going to be triumphant. Jesus was the victor here. Jesus is always going to be the victor. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, even hell itself could not rise up and defeat His church. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you so that in Me you have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So believers, I want you to be encouraged today. Take heart. That's what Jesus tells you to do. Take heart. For you are an overcomer in Christ. You need to rejoice in that, believer. 
You're on the side with Jesus, and Jesus wins. So listen, let the scoffers scoff. Let the complainers complain. Let the doubters doubt. But Jesus Christ is Lord. His universal lordship, His cosmic authority is never going to be diminished. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. So dear listener, I would ask you today, what do you say of Jesus? What will you do with Him? The Bible says all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. He is Lord. He is Master. He's judge of the universe. And He is the one who stands over your life and your destiny. Friend, I would ask you today, do you know Jesus? Do you know Him? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? Have you received Him? Have you believed upon Jesus as Lord for yourself? Have you accepted Him by faith? Friend, I'm asking, has there been that day in your life when you put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Oh, dear listener, if you're listening today, if you're outside the family of faith, I pray that as a result of this message, that you would come to grips with the authority of Christ, and that you'd repent of your sins, and that you would then bow the knee to Jesus and believe on Him as your Lord and Savior. Friend, the Bible says nothing brings more joy Nothing brings more hope or happiness than having a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To know that one's sins are forgiven, to, to know that one's guilt is gone, to have that blessed assurance that heaven is one's eternal home, what joy that is. Nothing is greater than that in this earthly life. And the Bible says it all comes by faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, as we draw this message to a close, family, I hope this message today on the unstoppable authority of Jesus Christ, I hope it's been such an encouragement to you, such an encouragement to your heart. But Christian, listen. Listen now. Listen so closely. If you really believe this, if you really believe in the unstoppable authority of Jesus Christ, how will that affect your behavior this week? If you really believe in the authority of Christ, will you stand firm when the truth of Christ is so unpopular in your workplace or amongst your family members? Will you keep standing with Jesus even when His truth is challenged, pushed against, and even condemned? Christian, if you really believe in Christ's authority, will you keep serving Him behind the scenes? Will you keep serving Him, believing that one day your work will be remembered? It will be ultimately rewarded by Jesus? And then thirdly, if you really do believe in Christ's authority, will you stop all your posturing? Will you stop with your posturing, triangulating, people-pleasing? Will you just speak honestly about what the Bible says and about what you believe and then finally, if you, if you really believe in the authority of Jesus, will you set your hope on heavenly things this week? Will you realize that heaven is your home? Is your anchor holding fast to the promise that in Jesus you are a victor? Will you believe that even though this deceitful world is so filled with dishonest dealers, will you believe that Jesus 
authority still dominates. Christian friend, that is truth that you can live on. Believers to this day, the historians and the biographers tell us World War I was the ugliest, most brutal, bloodiest war that's ever been fought on this planet. But friends, listen, make no mistake, there's still an epic world war ongoing. There's still an epic world war ongoing between the forces of darkness and the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the battle keeps raging in our day. But we can be confident, Christian, that we will be victorious because we are with Christ. So believer, go out of here with great courage this week. Go out with courage and stand strong and don't be afraid. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.